Yeah, thank you, Eric. It's good to have you visiting with us. Well, before we get into the scriptures today, I do want to wish all of you a happy Mother's Day. And uh, I alluded this, alluded to this in, in my prayer, but uh, I, I know that Mother's Day is not easy for everyone. Uh, some days, or some, for some people, Mother's Day just is a reminder of the way the world is not as it ought to be. Um, so today we kind of have this juxtaposition of celebration for many, but also pain for a few. So wherever you find yourself on that spectrum this morning, we are glad that you're here, uh, and we're glad to be either celebrating or mourning with you. Also want to give you guys a brief update with the pastoral search for our new pastor of student and children's ministries. Uh, we are kind of going back to the drawing board a little bit. We sorted through several different uh, options and candidates and uh, been doing uh, just a lot of work as a search team and uh, even conducted uh, interviews and uh, none of the guys that we have kind of worked with up to this point have, God has not shown us that, uh, that any of them would be the right man for us and so we are uh, kind of reopening our search and going to be posting uh, the job on a couple of different uh, job boards. So just wanted to let you guys know uh, where we were at in that process and you can be praying for the team uh, as we dive back in with hopefully new candidates. But this morning, uh, as we uh, read from the Word of God, we are going to be in Ephesians chapter 5, verses 18 to 21. So if you will stand with me while we read the Word, if you are able. Ephesians chapter 5, starting in verse 18, here from the words of the Apostle Paul. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery. But be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Father, I pray this morning that we would hear clearly from you. May we be surrendered to what you have to say to us. May we rejoice at what you are saying. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, I have talked a lot about our three-year-old, our toddler, and I think I've even mentioned this before, but she is quite dependent upon us. You know, a few months back, we finally got to that great potty training stage, or I should say kind of past it, to where She's no longer really using diapers, and oh, it was glorious. I've been looking forward to that day for quite some time. It's like, oh, please, Lord, let this come soon. Uh, Lord, if you don't tarry, let this day uh, come soon. We are tired of the diapers. And, but she still depends on us. Like, even for her to get on to the toilet takes some help. It's always, Mommy, it's rarely Daddy. It's always, Mommy, will you come help me? If Daddy tries to come help, she uh, is not terribly excited about that, but... Uh, I get sent sometimes, but she, she has to depend on us for a lot. Now, as she grows and as she develops, Lord willing, she will become more and more independent. Our older children are more independent, and they don't need our help when, we, when they head to the bathroom. And, sometime, and that's, that's good, right? Like, we want our children to grow. We tend to take that perspective on life, this idea that I become more independent, 
and we put it on top of the Christian life. Oh, the Christian life is I become more independent. I'm able to do more things, more good things, more moral things, more things that God has called me to do without God's help. When the truth is, we actually need to be depending more upon the Lord. We don't become more independent as we grow in the Christian life. We become more dependent. The more we grow, the more we realize, oh Lord, I actually need your help, even in the small things. I need your help consistently. And yes, some things will come more naturally as we grow, but I think the biggest thing that comes more naturally as we grow is actually recognizing our need to depend on Him. So in the Christian life, it's not about becoming independent, but dependent. Now the question then becomes, how do we become dependent? And I think a synonym for dependence upon God is being filled with the Spirit. We looked uh, at that idea of filled with the Spirit in our Bible verse today, and we're going to be uh, going down uh, that avenue, talking about being filled with the Spirit. You can also think of it as walking in step with the Spirit. Last week, we looked at the idea that Christ has given us His Spirit. His Spirit dwells within us. He indwells us was the word. This, This week, we're looking at filling. I even gave you a phrase last week of my new OS is the HS, and I did get a couple questions afterwards. What does OS mean? And uh, it means operating system. That's, uh, it's just short for operating system. So the new way that I operate is by the Holy Spirit. Christians have the Holy Spirit, and we rely upon His power. And I left you on a cliffhanger saying, look, we have the power of the Holy Spirit within us, but how do we actually labor with his power. We looked at uh, Colossians chapter 1 verse 29 and Paul says, "For this I toil," speaking about his ministry, "struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me." So today we're looking at, well, how do we get that power? In other words, how are we filled? Because in the scripture verses that we just read, we saw that we are commanded to be filled. So what does this mean? How do we do it? How are we filled? See, all Christians are indwelt with the Spirit, but we also must be filled. And by that I mean someone who's operating under His power, as opposed to our own strength. And uh, again, I thanked these two guys last week, but I'll thank them again this week. Two men, uh, Rick James and Bob Foose, have influenced me greatly. And even the helpful phrase that you'll find at the bottom of your worship order is not mine, but uh, it has stuck with me and I found it to be incredibly helpful. Uh, I want to thank them for their influence on my life in this area. Also, if you're new here, what we're doing today is not normal. Usually we walk through a a book of the Bible and we seek to unpack a particular passage and say, okay, what has God said then? And what is he saying to us today through what he said then? And uh, we'll be going back to that in a couple of weeks. We're going to be doing a series out of the book of Esther this summer, so we can look forward to that. But uh, this is not normal, where we kind of have a topic and we explore that. Uh, But occasionally in the life of the church, I think it is helpful to do that, to have a particular topic that we explore. So uh, this is week two of three weeks. Next week, we'll take a little break. Uh, Pastor Brandon is going to preach from Proverbs, and then we'll have our third week at the end of May, and then picking up in Esther in June. But let's head back to our passage. Starting in Ephesians 5.18, Paul says, And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. All right, so let's pause there. And before we unpack this, we need to establish one theological truth. We've got to look at one thing in particular, and that is, who is the Holy Spirit? 
We talked a lot about last week how He's within us, but we didn't talk about this fact, our first point. The Holy Spirit is a person, not a force or an it. The Holy Spirit is a person, not a force or an it. If Paul is commanding us to be filled with the Spirit, I need to understand who He is. Otherwise, I might start going off in a weird, wacky direction. Because there is a big difference between a force and a person. You see, I have to submit to gravity as a force. Gravity has some sort of authority in my life. However, I can try to manipulate gravity, can I not? I'm still kind of under its control, but I can also use gravity to my own advantage. A force is impersonal. It doesn't have a will. That's not, we can't, we don't truly submit to gravity. We're just kind of, we live with it. But the Holy Spirit, on the other hand, He has true authority. If I'm trying to manipulate Him, well, then I'm not truly submitted to Him. Now am I? So the Holy Spirit is a person, not a force or an it. I have uh, five specific verses that show us some of uh, the Holy Spirit's personhood. I'm not going to unpack these, but I'm just kind of using this to show you that the Scriptures speak of the Holy Spirit specifically as a person, not a force or an it. From Acts chapter 5, verse 3, we see that the Holy Spirit can be lied to. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? You can lie to the Holy Spirit. Not that you can trick him or that he'll believe you, but you can lie to him. You can't lie to gravity. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 30 shows that he can be grieved. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. The Holy Spirit prays on our behalf. Romans chapter 8, verse 26. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. Jesus says that the Holy Spirit would teach the disciples in John chapter 14, verse 26. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. He teaches. And lastly, He has a will. 1 Corinthians 12, 11. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as He wills. Okay, so... We see the Holy Spirit has personhood. He has personhood. If we are to be filled with Him, if we are being to be dependent upon Him, we must see Him as a person. I encourage you to try to adjust your language when you speak of the Holy Spirit. Refer to Him as He. Don't think of Him as it or that thing over there, but speak of Him as He. That'll help in the way that you think about Him. And also, I think it's helpful, if I'm thinking of the Holy Spirit as a person, in many ways that opens me up to greater influence because I actually will listen to a person. I want to hear from a person. I don't really care what a force has to say. All right, so let's move on to, be talk, to talk about specifically what does it mean to be filled with the Spirit. Be filled with the Spirit. The Greek verb there, to be filled, is actually a continuous command. It wouldn't be wrong to translate this as be being filled. 
It's a little more natural to say be continuously filled, but the original verb is the idea of something ongoing. It's not a command, hey, you do this once, but it's saying live in this way. Be being filled. But being filled is contra- it's contrasted with what? Getting drunk with wine, getting drunk with alcohol. I don't think this is a mere coincidence. I don't think Paul was thinking, well, I don't want the church to be getting drunk, and so where can I fit that in into my letter just as a passing comment? Oh, I'll put it right here. No, Paul is saying something very particular about the Holy Spirit in our lives. You see, when you're drunk, your inhibitions are lowered. You are more likely to do what the flesh wants to do. All those filters and barriers that keep you from doing all those dumb things, the things that really are in your heart and that you would want to do, alcohol removes all of them. And next thing you know, you look like a complete fool. So Paul takes that image and he contrasts it with being filled with the Spirit. You see, if I'm filled with the Spirit, that removes my inhibitions and filters as well. But instead of the inhibitions and filters that keep me from doing what God wants me to do, or sorry, what my flesh wants to do, the Holy Spirit enables me to do what God wants me to do. In a way, I am drunk, but not opened up to sin, but opened up to God's righteousness, His holiness. It's in those moments where The things that you really don't want to do, like, I don't want to open my mouth right now and say that one thing because someone may think I'm weird or it's going to be hard to say. It's in that moment when I'm filled with the Spirit. It's like, you know what? No, I just want to honor God. And I know that God is here with me and He's enabling me so I can say it anyways. My inhibitions are lowered. So, here's our second point. Being filled with the Spirit means I am surrendered to His influence surrendered to his influence in the same way that when I'm filled with alcohol I'm surrendered to its influence when I'm filled with the spirit I'm surrendered to his influence and I picked the word surrendered because in the command to be filled with the spirit that's a passive command now if English grammar is not your specialty you have two different types of verbs you have active verbs and you have passive verbs an active verb would be I fed the dog. Me, the subject of the sentence, is doing the action. But you also have passive verbs where the dog was fed, where the verb, being fed, is being applied to the subject. And who's doing the feeding is not the point, but the fact that the dog was being fed is the point. So here we get this command to be filled. Being filled is not something I do myself. He doesn't say, fill up yourself with the Holy Spirit. That's not the command. It's let something be done to you. Be under the control. Be surrendered to the Holy Spirit. We don't fill ourselves. Instead, we put ourselves in a position or a posture that's subject to His influence. Now, sometimes when I think of being filled with the Spirit, and for many years I thought of this as, as being, like, being filled up like a cup. Being filled up like a cup. Lord, fill me up, please. And that's not wrong. However, I find that image to be unhelpful. Because, one, then I don't really know what to do with, okay, I'm, I guess I'm filled up. But also, if I have God already, how, do I, how could I have more of God? Wherever God is, He is there in His entirety. And somebody shared with me, I think a better picture that I found far more, I have in, in my adult life have found far more helpful than a cup being filled up. And that is a sail being filled with the wind. 
the sail, if you want it to catch more of the wind or be more influenced by the wind, you open it up further. And so in my life with the Holy Spirit, it's not, Holy Spirit, I need to get more of you as if somehow I don't already have all of you, because again, wherever God is, he is there in his entirety. But instead, there's more of my life that I need to examine and that I need to surrender to the Holy Spirit, the wind that is blowing along. Of course, not the wind like a force. We've already established the Holy Spirit is not a force, but the person. So being like a sail that is opening up. I think there's two things I want to make very clear that aren't necessary for the filling of the Spirit. One is an emotional high. The filling of the Spirit is not about having an emotional high, although oftentimes I think joy and peace accompany surrendering to the Spirit, being filled with Him. But that's not a prerequisite or a necessary result of being filled with the Spirit. And secondly, I don't think being filled with the Spirit requires an outward manifestation of miraculous signs. Perhaps those, perhaps those come. I'm not somebody who that believes they've necessarily stopped. But I also don't think they're necessarily normative. I think a lot of, especially in the part that, that we just read in Ephesians 5, we don't see the miraculous. We see the very mundane. Paul commands them to be filled, but then he gives them very mundane things to do. Addressing one another, psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody, giving thanks, submitting to one another. These aren't the miraculous things, they're the small things, the everyday things. Now in these verses, is Paul saying we do these things in order to get filled? Well, no. He's saying these are the results of doing these, or, or of being filled with the Spirit. And the Greek makes that a little bit more clear, and in the context, in the way that he's talking about these things. All of these verbs, you see, addressing, singing, making melody, giving thanks, submitting. All of these verbs are dependent upon the previous verb in verse 18. Be filled with the Spirit. That is the main verb of the entire sentence. Be filled with the Spirit. These other ones are participles that rely upon that first verb. Be filled. Be being filled, if you will. This is one of the reasons why I appreciate, this is a little Pastor Mark soapbox, why I appreciate translations that are a little more literal. Now, some translations try to capture the thoughts of what the authors are saying, and they don't go with a very literal reading of the Greek. And that's okay. I think sometimes those are good in your own study, and as you're seeking to read, I try to use several different translations as I'm doing my own work. But I think it's good to be in a translation, something like the ESV or the NASB or the CSB, that tries to be as literal as it can because it picks up on some of these. Uh, these points. It doesn't break this into a bunch of different sentences. And yes, maybe I have to sit and think a little bit more. However, it's easier for me to make the connection that these things are meant to go and be with verse 18. If I have a translation that puts these as separate commands, then I lose sight of what Paul was actually saying. Paul was saying that these things need to flow out of being filled with the Spirit, of walking with the Spirit. So that's a little soapbox. I encourage you to have a good translation that tries to translate things as literal, literal as possible uh, so that you can see more of what God is actually saying. Sometimes we need uh, a uh, translation that 
breaks it down for us and is easier to read. So again, I'm not poo-pooing on those or saying there's no place for them, but we need to spend a lot of time in literal places. When you read these things, these things that the Holy Spirit does in our lives as we are filled, we see that they are mundane. But also, they have a lot to do with loving one another, worshiping God, do they not? Loving God, loving others, sounds a lot like what we're expected to do in the Christian life. Thinking back to our time in the Sermon on the Mount. These are the normal everyday things that we are called to be and to do as Christians. And one of the dangerous things is that we start to see these small things as things that I need to do under my own power. God, you expect me to show up at church and sing songs and to submit to one another. Okay, that's up to me. And God, you're going to do the big and miraculous. You're going to be the one who rescues. I'm going to be the one who takes these little steps of faith. And I think God says, no, no, no. The Christian life is not about having 50% you do things, and it's the small things you're responsible for, and I, as God, am going to do the big 50%. No, it's 100%. 100% that God is doing all of it, and 100% that I'm doing it with Him. We both are doing it together. But all of it is being under the influence and control of the Holy Spirit. Now, this leads us back to the question, how? I still haven't really answered that, uh, that, that cliffhanger from last week. How do I actually have the power of the Spirit to do these things? How am I supposed to be filled? Well, here's the answer. We are filled with the Spirit by faith. We are filled with the Spirit by faith. You may look at that and be like, well, what does that mean? What am I supposed to do with that? And this isn't some cop-out answer. But I think this is the entirety of the Christian life. The entirety of the Christian life is lived by faith. So let me tell you what I mean by this, that this idea that we are filled with the Spirit by faith. We're going to turn to Galatians. A lot of what is happening in Galatians is Paul is scolding the Galatian church for how they have abandoned the gospel. You see, in the Galatian church, they came to faith believing that Jesus had died for their sins, that He was the promised Messiah. But then later, after Paul came, some other teachers came, and they were saying, yeah, you need to believe in Jesus and follow the Mosaic law. And Paul writes this letter as a response, saying, no, that's not what the Christian life is about. It's not about Jesus plus all this other stuff, which is incredibly relevant to us today, because we like to say, yeah, you believe in Jesus, and then you put all these other things on top. I read my Bible, I go to church, I dress right. I don't mow my lawn on Sunday. You know, it's like whatever you want to add in that category, it's like this is what makes me a Christian. And Paul is saying, no, no, no. The Christian life starts with believing in Jesus, and it continues and is about believing in Jesus. So let's turn to Galatians chapter 3. O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? So he's saying, yeah, you didn't do anything to get the Spirit to believe. You just believed. Verse 3, are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? 
Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. So, Paul is taking these thoughts and what what he's saying is saying, look, you began by faith, you received the Spirit by hearing with faith, and so you continue by faith. You believed that Jesus' death on the cross was enough to cover your sins. You believed that God loved you, that He sent Christ to die, that you didn't deserve Christ's death or His gift of eternal life. You didn't deserve for Jesus to pay for you, but He paid for it anyways. And you believed that His sacrifice covers you. That is what it means to be a Christian. If you're not here this, or if you're here, if you're not here this morning, I guess you're watching online, but for all of you here this morning, That invitation is offered to us. Will you believe? That is what it means to be a Christian. But the problem is, is that we become Christians by faith, and then we think, all right, the rest of the Christian life is about me doing all these other things. Sure, God loves me. He loved me enough to pay the price for me, but He doesn't like me enough to help me walk the Christian life. It's a sad reality that we begin to fear God Himself. We think He has this standard, this list. Okay, I'm going to do these things and that'll make me good with God. But Paul's saying, no. The whole of the Christian life is by faith. We believe that the Spirit is working in us. He has a very similar thought in Colossians chapter 2, verses 6 and 7. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him, rooted and built up in Him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. So how did they receive Christ Jesus the Lord? By faith. They believed. There's no part of them that you could cut open and say, there it is. There's the Christian part of you. I found it. No, we believe that Jesus has saved us. In the same way, We must believe that the Holy Spirit is empowering us. We walk by faith. We simply believe. So, practically speaking, if we are filled with the Spirit by faith, if it's a matter of believing that the Holy Spirit is here within me and is empowering me to do the things that He wants me to do, what does that actually look like? Well, real simple, I've got four components for you. I think if you kind of keep these four ideas in your mind, I think it will help you to have a posture of being surrendered and filled with the Spirit. Here's the four components. got four words. One is acknowledgement. Two is belief. Three, action. Four, thanksgiving. Acknowledgement, belief, action, thanksgiving. Acknowledgement, belief, action, thanksgiving. So let's talk about these four things. First, acknowledgement. Acknowledging my need. We never get to the point in the Christian life where we don't need God. So at every step of the way, it is me saying, God, I need you. God, I need you to help me read the scriptures today. God, I need you to help me love my spouse. God, I need you when I walk out and go to work and I'm with that coworker again. God, I need you. When we came to Christ, Christians, Hear me, when we came to Christ, we didn't bring anything to the table. Why do we think we'd bring something to the table now? We don't. We still need Him. We're often afraid, thinking, 
God doesn't want to hear what I have to say or what I have to ask for. But look at what the author of Hebrews tells us in chapter 4. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Now get this. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Here we have an open invitation to come to God and say, God, I need you. I acknowledge my need. Lord, I need you. Oh, I need you. But so often we are too prideful to come with that heart. But oh, if that was our heart all the time saying, Lord, I need you. I can't do this on my own. What kind of a people would we be? Instead of thinking, yeah, I'm just going to keep going. I got this. But no, God calls us to acknowledge our need. So that's the first step. Acknowledging my need, being on my knees. Secondly, believing that he's actually empowering me. Believing me. I think there's three questions you can ask that can help you believe. Because sometimes we do actually believe something, but we don't know how to kind of cognitively walk in that belief. So here's three questions that can help you realize, oh yes, I do believe this. First, does God want me to be filled with the Spirit? Well, He commanded it, so yes. I think at all times, God wants you to be filled with the Spirit. I say that with absolute confidence here this morning. There is no moment in your life that God does not want you to be filled with the Spirit. Okay, so God wants it. Secondly, this is a harder one. Do I want to be filled with the Spirit? Oftentimes that will involve some confession, right? Confessing that, Lord, I need to be filled with your Spirit because uh, I have not been surrendered to you. I've been off doing my own thing. And God, if I'm honest right now, I'm struggling to even want to be filled with the Spirit. But I think simply we come before the Lord, we confess that, say, Lord, yeah, I do want to be filled. I do want to be surrendered. I do want to do what you have called me to do. So does God want me to be filled? Yes. Do I want to be filled? Hopefully, yes. And thirdly, will God follow through? Absolutely, yes. Why? Because He has promised to answer our prayers when they are prayed according to His will. 1 John 5, verse 14, And this is the confidence that we have toward Him, that if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. God wants me to be filled. So if I, in earnest, because I want to be filled, ask to be filled with the Spirit, God will answer that. Will it lead to a change in feeling? Not necessarily. I'll probably feel exactly the same moment, or the same way, the moment after I'm filled, than I was before. But there is a big difference. And that is, I am surrendered, and I am indeed empowered by God to do His will. So, we acknowledge our need, we believe, and then thirdly, we move forward by faith. You act. That's that action component. We move forward. You have to take the step. That's where the toiling and struggling comes in. But it's not toiling and struggling with your energy, even though it often feels like it. Instead, you look back at it and you say, you know what? God, that was you working in me. In the same way, no, I'm not going to make up an analogy on the spot, so <laughs> you're welcome. That might not have gone well. We move forward by faith, trusting that it is God working in us. And then lastly, we thank the Lord for His work. You look backwards and you say, thank you, thank you. So we acknowledge, we believe, we act, we thank. When you do that, you will be surprised at what God does in and through you. 
So to make this practical and give you an example, let's say you are in a conversation with a wife whose husband just left her, and you have no idea what to say. You're like, Lord, I need you to speak through me right now because I don't know what to do. So you pause, you acknowledge your need, you believe, say, Lord, I want to be filled. I know that you want me to be filled. Please fill me. I believe that you're filling me. Then you open your mouth and speak, trusting that what you are saying is exactly what God wants you to say. And that doesn't mean that you're going to be perfect, but it does mean you're going to be walking, you're going to be toiling, you're going to be struggling with all His energy that He powerfully works within you. And again, you may not feel any different at all, but afterwards you look back, you say, thank you for working, Lord. Thank you for doing your will. So being filled with the Spirit is not about having magical incantations. Getting the power of God is not about trying to get something out there, but it's saying, I'm laying down my life, and my life is going to change as a result. I'll be singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs and be doing the things that He desires for me to do. I'm having a posture of neediness. I've got this one helpful phrase, because if acknowledgement, belief, action, and thanksgiving is too many words, this is easier. This is from Bob Foose, but I love it. I can't, but you can. I can't, but you can. When you enter into any situation, and you're just walking throughout your day, even if you feel like you can, this is a great phrase. You wake up in the morning, and it's time to get in the Word. Lord, I can't, but you can. Lord, help me. Lord, help me. I can't, but you can. And then you move forward, trusting that He has given you the resources to actually move forward. That He is good, and He wants to answer your prayers. Church, we never graduate from this. I hope and pray that there will never be a day in your life where you get to a point where you won't cry out, Oh, I don't need you, Lord, but instead you're crying out, I can't, but you can hope and pray that that is the cry of your heart until the day you die. I can't, but you can. I can't, but you can. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that when we fall short, and even when we think we're doing well, and don't even realize that we're falling short, that you can. You don't just make up the difference, Lord, where we fall short, but you carry us all the way. We thank you that you are our God and King, that you empower us, that you have given us your spirit, that you haven't left us on our own to live the Christian life, but that you are faithful. Father, help us to rely upon the power of your spirit and not to try to do things under our own effort. May we have hearts that express need, and may we believe that you are empowering us because you love us. We thank you, Lord, for your kindness to us. We thank you for giving us your Holy Spirit. And may we cry out, we can't, but you can. Pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.